welcome to Sundays at Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill. I am so glad you have joined us for this edition of the podcast and a message entitled The Incorruptible Love of Christ, a message I think you'll find both encouraging and empowering. This is week nine of our sermon series, A Spiritual EKG, where we're looking at the new creation heart of the Christian, and it has been a great study, a fascinating study looking into the believer's heart. Hey, if you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes to go with this sermon and many other sermons on the podcast. And there's actually a link there. If you want to click on that, you could also contribute to the ministry of Robinson Grace Church and support these messages. And we say thanks in advance. Hey, in today's message, we're going to actually look at the greatest command in Scripture, the command to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. What does that even look like today? I think you might be surprised with the answer. So let's get right to the message, the incorruptible love of Christ. Carp was a disciple of Jesus' disciple, the Apostle John. One could tell it immediately because he possessed the same tenderness and compassion as his mentor. Polycarp was bishop of the church at Smyrna, present-day Turkey. Persecution broke out in Smyrna, and many Christians were fed to the wild beasts in the arena. The godless and bloodthirsty crowd called for the carcass of the leader, Polycarp. The authorities sent a search party to find him. He had been taken into hiding by some Christians. But the Romans tortured two young believers until they finally disclosed his location. When the authorities' arrival was announced, there was still time to whisk Polycarp away. But he refused to go, saying, God's will be done. In one of the most touching instances of Christian grace imaginable, Polycarp welcome, welcomes his captors as if they were friends. He talked with them and insisted they eat a meal. He, he made only one request before being taken away. He asked for one hour to pray. The Roman soldiers had listened to his prayer. Their hearts melted and they gave him two hours to pray. They had second thoughts as well and were overheard asking each other why they were sent to arrest him. Other authorities also experienced a warm heart when Polycarp arrived. The proconsul tried to find a way to release him too. Curse God and I will let you go, he pleaded. Polycarp's reply was, for 86 years I have served him. He has never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul again looked for a way out. Then do this, old man. Just swear by the spirit of the emperor and that will be sufficient. Caesar is Lord. Polycarp's reply was, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly, I am a Christian. More entreaties by the proconsul, Polycarp stood firm. The proconsul threatened with, wild, with the wild beasts. Polycarp's reply was, bring them forth. I would change my mind if it meant going from worst to best, but not to change from right to wrong. The proconsul threatened, I will burn you alive. Polycarp's reply was, you threaten with fire that burns for an hour and is over, but the judgment on the ungodly is forever. 
The fires engulfed him. The witnesses noticed his faith and joy. He was finished off with a dagger. He was buried for the cause of Christ on February the 22nd, uh, 155 AD. It was, much, it was as much a day of victory as it was a day of tragedy. That is a story that I don't know that we can really fully relate to, right? I don't think we fully can grasp the significance of that. We don't live in that environment. Now, it is true that gradually, America, we're slipping in that direction. We see more and more persecution for some of our Christian beliefs. But uh, we don't experience what some actually experience in other parts of the world today when that is their reality, when there are those being persecuted just like Polycarp was. If you're like me, the question that you tend to have is is kind of like, I guess the question is kind of like, well, um, what would I do if I was in Polycarp's shoes? And we, we wonder sometimes, how does someone do that? How does someone have that level of faith? I mean, what is it that allows certain people to take such an emboldened stand for their faith? We can find it so hard to share our faith with a coworker while others are being burned at the stake for theirs. It's crazy. What is it? Well, what I want us to see today, and you might be surprised today, is that what drove Polycarp to such great, a great statement of faith, um, that, that same reality is in your heart and my heart. That same potential is within our new creation heart. We will see that today. We're in week nine of this series, a spiritual EKG. We finish it next week. And today, I think you'll find this morning very encouraging and very empowering. We're going to walk through a, a, a series of passages, just kind of tell a story, and then at the end I'll give you three simple applications and uh, be a little different, maybe a little different format than normally, but it's going to be, I believe, a powerful message. And I want to start in one of the greatest chapters in the whole of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. It's a fascinating passage, and listen in this passage to Paul's incredible confidence. Paul faced his own persecution. Here's what Paul says, "'Who shall separate us from the love of Christ?' Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there you see the amazing confidence that Paul had in the face of his own persecution. He never for once doubted the love of God. Now I want to start with this question this morning. I guess it's simply this. How confident are you of God's love? How confident are you of God's love? Are you as confident as Paul is that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you? The idea being that when we become saved, we become new creations in Christ, when we believe that Jesus died for our sins, uh, when we admit that we're a sinner and believe he died for our sins, and then we receive him as our Savior and we receive his forgiveness, that once we our new creations in Christ, nothing can ever take that love away. Nothing can ever impact that relationship negatively. Again, we are his and he is ours. How confident are you this morning of God's love? And may I add to this then, if you would say, well, yes, I'm very confident. I wonder why are you confident? How would you answer that question? 
I thought about that this week and I thought about the reality that if I were to answer the question, maybe if, if I was out there and I was hearing this message and hadn't thought this all through all week, I think my answer to that question would, would sound very much like a theological contract. What do I mean by a theological contract? Well, I mean, basically, I would say, well, I know Christ died for me. He shed his blood on the cross for me. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and there's these adoption papers, right? God adopts me as a father. And so God signs these adoption papers. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and the Bible says, puts a seal on those adoption papers. He is the guarantee of my salvation that can never be revoked. So there's this theological contract God's theological contract based on the blood of Christ and the guarantee of the spirit and I think a lot of our answers might tend to be that way I got to thinking well what if my answer to that question why I'm so confident in in Christ and his love and I'll never be separated from it what if it carried a more relational tone what if my answer to that question, and not that I'm downplaying the theological contract, but what if there was more a relational tone? In other words, what if I focused on the love of a father that actually wrote the contract? I mean, there's a contract, yeah, but there's someone who, who, who decided, hey, I'm going to come up with a contract because I love these people so much. Kind of our big idea today. My security in Christ is not merely based on a theological contract, but the Father's love behind that contract. The, the Father's love that backs up that contract. The Father's love that wrote that contract. That's the reality. It's the idea that I have a Father who loves me deeply and holds me tightly and He will never let me go. I may run from Him, He will never let me go. I may desert Him, He will never desert me. I may reject Him, He will never reject me. That's the reality. A father who loves me so deeply and holds me so tightly, he will never forsake me, not for anything or anyone. So this morning, let's kind of walk through this. Now, I want to transition here. We're thinking about God's incredible love for us. Let's transition to our love for God a moment. Let's transition to this passage in Matthew 16, the greatest command in all the scripture, right? What's the greatest command? You probably know it. The greatest command in Scripture found in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. We'll circle back around to Paul's uh, confident statement there in Romans at the end of the message. But here in Matthew 16, or actually I think it's Mark. I got that wrong on the screen. It's Mark 16. Um, Mark or Matthew, I have a different, but I'm pretty sure this comes out of Mark. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing, Jesus was having an argument with the Sadducees, heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You shall love, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, there is no other commandment greater than than these. Now here's the deal. There were 613 Jewish laws, 603 specific laws, 10 commandments, 613 total laws. And what Jesus does here is takes all of those laws, even those 10 commandments, and boils them all down to two simple laws. Love God with everything you got, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as your Self. And the reality is we get a bit sentimental about these verses, don't we? We like these verses. Sometimes we look at these verses as the end all to our own faith, right? 
I just got to love God with all I got and love my neighbor as myself. And if I do that, you know, I'm doing pretty good. And I would say that for 25 years, I've done that. 25 years, I've said, well, God boils the law down to these two commands, but he boils the whole Bible down to these two commands. But after studying this week, I got to kind of retract that. We're going to see something this morning that I think is a little bit fascinating when you consider these command, these two commands are the greatest command here. Did you know something? There's something fascinating. These individuals that he's talking to and the one he's talking with, the scribe, you know what? They don't have the Holy Spirit living in them and they don't have a new creation heart. Think about that for a moment. You know what that means? That means that, that, that all these Sadducees and this scribe that has this tremendous answer and Jesus says you answered well, you know, they can't even keep the two greatest commands. They can't even, they, they can't love God with all their heart. They've got a heart that's deceitful and wicked. It's a Jeremiah 17, 9 heart. God has not gone to the cross yet. God has not given them a new heart. They can't even live out these verses. Pretty fascinating when you stop and think about it. Without a new creation heart, this, the command was impossible to fulfill. That's the reality. And I think that's pretty fascinating. In fact, think about the law a minute. What's the goal of the law? What's the ultimate goal of the law? To point to someone and say, you're a cheater. You're a liar. You're an idolater. You know, you are whatever. You, you are sinful and you need a savior. The law was intended to show people their sin and then point them to Christ. And when Jesus summarizes the entire law, he summarizes it in two big, simple commands that they can't keep. And says, yes, you can't even do that. You can't even, we can boil the law down to two simple things. You can't even do that. You need a Savior. And I think that is so absolutely fascinating. Now, here's the thing. While this is known as the greatest command... This might sound odd. Did you know there's a greater command in Scripture than the greatest command? How can that be? How can there be a greater command than the greatest? In fact, Jesus just said there's no greater command, but there is a greater command because later on Jesus comes along and tells us about a greater command. Jesus speaks of a new and greater command that trumps the greatest command. So let's look at that. Let's go there next and let's look at the greater command found in John chapter 13. How many know what it is? Do you know what it is? the top of your head we're going to go there john 13 it's the night that jesus is arrested he's in the upper room with the with the with the disciples they have the last supper together they they celebrate the passover together and then he does this teaching when he had gone out they went out of the upper room when he had gone out jesus said now is the son of man glorified and god is glorified in him if god is glorified in him god will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once little children yet a little while i am with you you will seek me and just as i said to the jews so now i also say to you where i am going you cannot come a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So do you see the new command compared to the old command? Do you see the greater command than the, actually the greatest 
command? Can you contrast the two commands? The old command was something they couldn't do. The new command is something that what? Christ will do. The old command was based on the old covenant of law. The new command, of course, is based on the new covenant of grace. The old command was the summary of the entire law. The new command was the reality of God's grace. In short, think of it this way. The old command at which man would fail was intended to point us to the new command at which Christ would not fail. Isn't that cool? The old command, love God with all your strength and all your heart and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And we actually can do that today because we have a new creation heart. We have the mind of Christ. We can actually do it, but I mean, let's be honest. Do you love your neighbor more as, as much as you love yourself all the time? I mean, honestly, do you? I mean, we, we fail at this, but, but that's the point. The old command at which we would fail was intended to point us to the new creation at which Christ would not fail. And I think that's pretty, possi- pretty awesome. The reality is we are to love the way that Christ loved us. So you see, the greater command is not about my love. It is based on the love of Christ. We are to love as Christ loved. In fact, the old command, think about this, the old command told me to love my neighbor How? like I love myself. The new command tells me to love my neighbor how? Like Christ. I mean, who loves you better? Who loves yourself better? I'm supposed to love my neighbor like I love me. Or I got that wrong. I'm supposed to love my neighbor like I love me. Or I'm supposed to love my neighbor like Christ loves me. Got that twisted around. And the reality is, think about that. Who does a better job of loving you? Christ loves me more than I love myself. That's the reality. We can see that the new command and the greater command of grace is even far superior to the greatest command of the law. And that takes us then to this, the new creation heart we've been talking about in this series. Remember Romans 5, 5, we saw this earlier in the series that this is a passage talking about the outworking of our salvation when we're saved and it says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so again, if you can just think about your relationship with God less as a theological contract, you know, well, when I was saved, you know, Holy Spirit came into my life and, and, and there's this, you know, know can you see that he came into our life and he brought the love of the father he poured the father's love into your heart and into my heart that's the love that is in my heart we talked about it earlier in this series about it being a first corinthians 13 love that's the reality but the sense is this it's real simple um our new creation heart by nature of having the holy spirit was filled with the love of our heavenly father In your new creation heart, you have the love of your heavenly Father. Yes, it's a 1 Corinthians 13 love. We looked at that a a couple weeks back. Today, I'm going to show you a different picture of this love that I think is maybe more powerful. I think it's just, just, to to look at this today is incredible. What what it is, is I ran across a verse this last week. Actually, I heard somebody speaking and they quoted this verse. And I'm like, wow, that's a pretty amazing verse. And it's one of those verses that, you know, it's kind of an obscure verse that you kind of just read over it and you just kind of go by and you don't think there's any significance to it until you stop and think about it. It's like one of those verses maybe that Paul has in a a greeting or a salutation. And this comes in a salutation. It comes in the, the closing part of the letter to 
the church at Ephesus. And yet, it is a very profound statement. It's more than a simply, sincerely Paul. What he's saying here is more than just a, you know, have a good day. There's something significant here. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23. Here's the, the two verses we'll read. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Just, just catch that last phrase. We love with a love incorruptible. What does that even mean? And, and just focus on it because you may miss it. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The reality is here, notice again, this is going to back up what we saw in 1 Corinthians 13. Grace be with all who love, that's the verb, our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And, and we would look at incorruptible and maybe think, well, that's an adjective of my love. Describes my love. I should love somebody with, a, with an incorruptible love or a, 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 an indestructible love or, a, you know, an amazing love. Or no, it's, it's actually not. It's actually incorruptible. is actually a noun. Love isn't really technically there. It's added in to make the sense of the flow of the verse. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. What this is basically saying is that when, that when God poured his love into your heart, he poured a love that is an incorruptible love. It's the kind of love that the Father has. Note again that, is, that God has equipped my heart to fulfill his call and to do his work. The Greek word here is um, aphasia or aphar. Aphasia, got to get that right. Aphasia, that's the Greek word here. It's translated basically in three common ways. Let me give you a handful of translations here of this verse as we walk through it today. Um, again, the key to an incorruptible love is a love that is a noun before it is a verb. When we understand this love we have in our heart is a noun before it is a verb, it is something I am before it is something I do, makes all the incredible difference in this. Romans 5, 5, this is the New American Standard Bible. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Uh, Romans 5, 5, this is the, uh, the Berean, liter the Berean um, literal Bible. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in incorruptibility. The more literal translation here is this word incorruptible. The Berean Study Bible, so there's this Berean Bible and it's got different versions of it. This is the Study Bible. This would probably be more that we could study it, understand it devotionally. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. The Holman Bible, grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the King James says, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. The Weymouth New Testament, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with perfect sincerity. And the Young's literal translation, this is an old translation, the grace with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ undecayingly, amen. And so you see the three primary ways that this is used though. Um, I found it translated eight times incorruptible, uh, six times translated undying, and three times translated sincere. To understand kind of the thrust of what Paul is saying here, look at this verse. Ephesians chapter 1, this is the introduction to the book of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and to, and to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Note he calls them faithful, he defines them. 
He's, he's encouraging them. He's saying, you're a faithful group of believers. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he always opens his letters kind of this way with grace and peace. But he's identifying them as those who are faithful. And then we come back here to the, this verse. And I didn't put it back on the screen again. But again, here's that verse uh, in Ephesians 6.24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And again, he's looking at them and saying, you know what? You, you have a love incorruptible. That's just who you are. That's just what's in your heart. Grace to you because you are faithful and grace to you because you have love incorruptible, because you have received Christ and the Holy Spirit's come into your heart and, and poured the love of the Father into your heart. And today when you look at your life, I just want you to be able to look in your heart and see the reality of what's in your heart. See, the point of this, the point of this all here is it, it, this is not grace to those who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as their self. No, this is grace to those who love like Christ. And think about those three terms again, right? There is incorruptible, there's undying, and there's sincere. Where is the best place in the Bible to go to get a picture of an incorruptible love, an undying love, a sincere love? Where's the best place to go? right to the cross. Just stare at the cross. Look at the Savior hanging on the cross, shedding his blood for you and me. And that's the kind of love we see at the cross. That's the reality. So let's kind of go through this this morning here and apply this, apply this, okay? We want to understand that there is a greater command in the scriptures than the greatest command of the law. It's the it's what Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross, the incorruptible love of Christ. So let's just walk for a few minutes, three applications to this, applying God's incorruptible love in our own life. What does this look like? Well, number one, uh, our heart has an incorruptible love we can build on and trust in. Our heart has an incorruptible love we can build on and trust in. Let that just resonate with you a moment, that your heart is filled with this incorruptible love. What does that mean? Well, we can build on, we can build our blank on it. I left the blank out today because I want you to fill it in as you're doing your notes. I'll give you some examples. We can build our life on it. We can build our family on it. We can build our home on it. We can build our marriage on it, right? We can build our career on it. We can build our hope on it. We can build our faith on it. There is a love, an incorruptible love in my heart and in your heart as believers that we can build on. Just fill that blank in this morning. You pick out what you want to put in there. What do you want to build on this incorruptible love? We can build our relationships on it. We can build, you just go on and on. We sang it this morning, right? We sang it. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. That's the love we have in our heart. We can build on it and we can also trust in it. It's a love that we can trust in. Again, our, the foundation of our life is more than just a theological contract. Yes, there's security in that theological contract, but there is security in a God who wrote the contract, who said, I love you so much, I'm going to guarantee this, that nothing, that nothing you face can ever take away this incorruptible 
indestructible, undying love. The question is, are you building your life today on God's love? Are you finding your security in Christ's incorruptible love today? And then, at the same time, are you trusting in this love today? Where is today? Think about this. Um, Think about this. I I missed one on the, the board. There it is. Where is your trust, security, and confidence this morning? Where is your trust and your security and your confidence this morning? Is it in this incredible love of a father? That's the reality. Here's the thing. There is a incorruptible love in our heart that means we don't have to become jaded by life and cynical by life and we don't have to become resentful and bitter and angry no matter what we go through the incorruptible love of God can stand that think about Christ on the cross he hung on the cross right he was beaten and he was tortured and mocked before he even went to the cross and then he's hung on the cross and he hangs on the cross for six hours six hours and he bears all our sin and bears all our temptation and bears all our brokenness and all our hopelessness and all our emptiness and all the injustice of this world and you know what nothing when he hung on the cross corrupted the father's love the love was as strong as ever the love was as strong as ever The love was stronger than everything that was thrown at it. And you need to know that that's the kind of love that you have in your life, an incorruptible love. We don't have to become jaded or cynical or angry or bitter or resentful or anything else. One of the greatest stories in the whole of Scripture that kind of shows us a picture of this kind of love is Joseph. Think about Joseph, right? Joseph, the story, the key to Joseph's story in the book of Genesis is that Joseph represents Jesus. He's a type of Christ. And if you know the story of Joseph, he, he faced tremendous injustice. His brothers sold him into slavery and he ended up in Egypt. And then he was falsely accused of rape and he was, you know, imprisoned unfairly. And he always did the right thing. He was, had impeccable character and he would rise. He would rise up the ranks in favor just to be mistreated or maligned or forgotten. His life was a roller coaster. He always did the right thing. Why? Because he demonstrates this incorruptible love of Christ that no matter what happened to him, he never became jaded or anger, angry or re- revengeful or bitter. He, he just, that, that just never happened. And at the end of his life, it's fascinating at the end of his life because at the end of his life, he has this great reunion with his brothers and with his father who thought he was dead for the last how many years. And they have this great reunion there in Egypt. And he's able, because of his incorruptible love, to look at his life, put it in perspective and say, all that you intended for evil, God used it for good. He was able to look at his brothers and say, you know, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you did to me. It's okay. It's water under the bridge. All because he had the incorruptible love of God. No matter what this world threw at him, he never became jaded or angry, resentful, bitter, revengeful, whatever it is. We have that incorruptible love in our life. We also have in our life, we have an undying love that never quits. We have an undying love in our life that never quits. That's the reality. We see this love on the cross as well. We see again Jesus is beaten and tortured and mocked before he even goes to the cross. And then he hangs there and takes everything on him and he never quits. He never gives up. He never says time out. He never says too much. He says, I can, you know, I, I did, I've reached my breaking point. It was a love, an undying love 
that in the end, it couldn't be killed. All the sin and pain and injustice and mocking could not cause Jesus to quit. Nothing could drive him off of that cross. And, and yes, that he was put in the grave and three days later he comes out of that grave and his love is alive and well. They couldn't kill his love. There's a, another amazing story in scripture that kind of we can kind of parallel in here and kind of relate to a little bit and that's the story of Peter and his sifting. We talked earlier, Jesus gave that new command, the greater command, right? Love as, love as I have loved. And The reality is, is that immediately after that, Jesus has this discussion with Peter. And he tells Peter a thing or two. And of course, this is when Peter rises up and says, Lord, I'll never deny you. I, I'll go to prison. I'll go to death for you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me tonight and the rooster's going to crow. And when the rooster crows, you'll remember. But here's, here's what it says. This is from a different uh, book. This is from John. This is Luke's account. Luke gives a little more information into this conversation. And, and Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. That idea of sifting Peter like wheat is kind of like what, he, what, what happened with Job. When, when Job, when Satan went to God and said, hey, I want to I wanna prove to you that Job doesn't really love you and that if things go bad in Job's life, he'll desert you. And God said, well, okay. And it's kind of the same thing there. And so Satan wants to prove that you can't count on Peter. He wants to sift Peter. But I have prayed for you, Jesus says, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. So he's pretty confident. But Jesus tells him here, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you know me. And just notice the bold proclamation of, of Peter there. I'll go to prison or death for you. And then, of course, Jesus explains the reality. Satan wants to sift you. This is what's going to be going on, Peter. And so he is tested, sifting as in a test. Peter goes through this test. And while Satan was testing Peter, God was busy building his faith. And so you know how the story goes that later on that night, Peter's confronted and said, oh, you're one of Jesus' followers. And Peter vehemently denies, I do not know that man. In fact, he throws in some curse words to be more convincing. And of course, he leaves and goes home that night with a broken heart. After that rooster crowed, he goes home with a broken heart knowing he had failed the test, or so he thought. But the reality is God has never done. God always gives us a second and a third and a fourth chance to pass those tests. And that's the story for Peter as well. So the, as the story goes, you know the resurrection comes, right? Christ resurrects from the grave and, and Christ has uh, some encounters with Peter and lets Peter know, hey, I for, I've forgiven you. It's okay. We're good. I understand Still, Peter goes back out to fishing. And so sometime, I don't know, a week or two later after the resurrection, don't know exactly when it is, G Peter's out fishing and Jesus comes to the shore. And when Peter realizes that Jesus is on the shore, he jumps out of the boat and he races to the shore. 
And this is when there's this questioning. Remember the story when, when Jesus begins to question Peter about what? About love. Think about that. He's going to question him about his love. And so let's read it here in John 21, 15. When they had finished, eating, finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Get off my back. <laughs> Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What's going on here? I think Jesus is finishing up the test. You know, Peter was sifted. What happened when Peter was sifted and was tested? Well, what happened was that, well... Peter's weakness was exposed. That's what the, 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 sifting, the sifting for Satan was to prove that Peter wasn't worth Jesus' time and effort and probably to discourage Jesus. But Jesus used that to expose the weakness that was in Peter. You see, the one who said he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, the one who was ready to die with Jesus, found out that he wasn't. Peter found out, here it is, Peter found out Peter found out that he was unable to keep the greatest command, yet what does Jesus do but lead him to the greater command? Jesus leads him to a, a love that is not a love in his own strength, but a love that is the, like the love of Christ. He leads him to that incorruptible, undying love. Know what Jesus tells me, it's fascinating. Earlier, Jesus said, you know what you're going to do tonight, Peter? You're going to deny me three times. And in this conversation, he says, you know what you're going to do now, Peter? You're going to go and you're going to, you're going to be martyred and crucified for me. And that's how you're going to die. Because now, yeah, now you're ready to die for me. You weren't before. Under the, greater, under the greatest command, you weren't ready to die for me. Under the greater command, you are. What transformed Peter's life? What, what is it that, that changed? Peter realized he couldn't love in his own strength, but that he needed the incorruptible and the undying love of Christ demonstrated at the cross. Peter, the brash one, had to stop trusting himself and start trusting Christ. And oh, what happens next is the Holy Spirit comes and fills Peter with the incredible love of a father. And Peter's move from the greatest command of the law to the greater command of grace. We need to know this morning that we have an undying love in our heart, a love that the world needs, a love that will not give up on those around us. And it's interesting because our narrative is much like the narrative of Jesus. Who nailed Jesus to the cross? Think about it. Who nailed him to the cross? Well, of course we did, right? But there were people literally there face to face who rejected Christ and mocked him and drove the nails in his hands. And you know, Jesus says something on the cross that we tend to gloss over. We read it so casually. We don't really take the significance in. But in Luke 23, 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
The reality is, is that Jesus offered forgiveness to the very ones who drove the nails into him. As he hangs on the cross, he offers forgiveness to the very ones that are holding the hammers and driving the nails. And in just 50 days, Peter will stand up at Pentecost. And again, all those that crucified Christ, literally crucified him, will offer them forgiveness and grace and mercy and hope and freedom. It's an undying love. It's a love that couldn't quit, a love that couldn't be killed. That's the reality. That's the reality. There's a Roman centurion there that watched Jesus die. Remember him? And he looked at it and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Why did he say that? He saw an undying love. He saw a love that could not be killed. You could kill the body, yeah, but you couldn't kill the love of a father, the love of Christ. And that love, my friends, is in your heart and mine. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. His love is strong as ever. 2,000 years later, he's offering us that same hope and freedom and forgiveness because of his incredible love. Think of, think of that love, that undying love. Think of it as a flame that God lights and lights a flame in your heart and it just can't go out. It just won't go out. Thirdly, our heart has a sincere love that proves our faith. There is a sincere love that proves our faith. The reality is if there was any doubt about whether God loved us or not, well, he kept his word, he kept his contract with us because he had that much love. Love that would write the contract, love that would carry it out. Of course, he had to because his very nature, he cannot lie. But at the cross, we see God's love is settled once and for all. We, whatever we go through in life, just look to the cross and say, you never have to doubt. Does God love me? Yes, he loves me. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it because he planned this from the very beginning. You know when he created the first Adam in the Garden of Eden? You know when he created Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? You know what he also did? He also, at that point, had planned on the second Adam, Jesus Christ, to come 4,000 years later. To make things right because he knew the first Adam was going to mess things up. And today he tells us today. We'll go back to what he said to us. A new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And why is this love so important today? Look what it says. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know that we are of God, that we follow Christ, not by our knowledge, not by our theology, not by our sermons or our worship music or our faith, but by our love. That's the reality. Romans chapter 9, one of the great examples, you talk about the sincerity of proving your love. Romans 9, 1, I am speaking the truth in Christ, Paul says. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And Paul, who was persecuted, looks at all those who persecuted him and said, you know what, if I could trade places with them, if I could be accursed to hell and they could all go to heaven, you know what, I'd make that decision. Why? Because he had the incorruptible undying. He had the sincere love of Christ. It just, his love. Proved it. You know why it's so important that we love one another? Let's be honest. If we can't love each other in the church, how are we going to love those outside the church? If I can't love somebody that's got a new creation heart and has the same desires I do, how can I love those outside 
the church that don't share in those desires. So what did we learn today? That my security in Christ is not based on a, merely on a theological contract. Yes, it is, but not only. But the Father's love behind that contract, that backs up that contract. And I learned today that there is a greater command of grace that trumps the greatest command of the law. If you're looking today and saying, I gotta just love today, God today with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as yourself, I'm gonna let you free from that today. After 25 years of preaching, I'm gonna say that's not the goal. No, the goal is to love with an indestructible, undying, sincere love, the kind of love that Christ had for us. Our heart is an incorruptible love. We can build on that love and trust in that love. What are you gonna build on this week? What are you gonna, you know, what are you gonna build on that love this week? And our heart has an undying love that never quits. And who is it that we can just keep praying for, can keep fighting for, can not quit on? And finally, our heart has a sincere love that proves our faith, that proves the genuineness of our faith. Here it is again. What did I learn about God's love for me this morning? What did I learn? And how and where am I building my life on God's love? These are all powerful questions to unpack at home. And what description of love meant the most to me this morning? The incorruptible, the undying, the sincere aspect of God's love. And how and to whom can I express the incorruptible love of God this week. Let me leave you here, Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Think about that. Even in persecution and in death, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I mentioned the story of Polycarp earlier, the bishop of Smyrna, who at age 86 was told, deny Christ and we will let you live. Just say Caesar is Lord. And Polycarp said these famous words. He said, 86 years, Christ has been faithful to me. He has never done me any wrong. How could I deny and blaspheme the king who saved me? And so they said, okay, instead of throwing you to the lions, we are going to burn you at the stake. And they did. Polycarp actually asked not to be fastened to the stake. Leave me thus, he said. He who strengthens me to endure the flames will also enable me to stand firm at the stake without being fastened with nails. The wood pile was lighted while Polycarp prayed with a loud voice, Lord God Almighty, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I praise thee that thou hast judged me worthy of this day and of this hour to participate in the number of thy witnesses. And in the cup of thy Christ, the flames consumed him. Tradition tells us that his loved ones and friends asked him, how are we going to know you are going to be okay? And at 86 years of age, he said, God's grace will be sufficient for me. When they burn me and I am dying, I will hold up one finger to show you as a symbol, God's grace is enough. They tied him to the stake. They put the wood around him and lit it. The women were screaming. The men were trying to stay strong. Tradition says that before he died, Polycarp held up one finger and said, his grace is enough and the disciples looked on and smiled and said yes God's grace is enough and then right before his death he held up a second finger as if to say God's grace is more than enough let's pray father God thank you for the incorruptible for the undying 
for the perfectly sincere love of God. And that's the love in our heart. That's the heart that we have. Help us understand who we are in you. Help us look in the mirror and realize our potential. Realize the love we have to offer to our families, to our church, to our friends, to a lost world. Just help us realize the love you have poured into our heart. And this week, help us stand strong on that love. And all God's people said, 